welcome to another Rapid Reaction episode of the Fast Break Podcast, another good news edition of the Rapid Reaction Fast Break Podcast. This is Amon Kidwai. I'm joined by Patrick Martin and Dan Madigan. The Yukon Huskies just finished a 70-55 to win over five-seed St. Mary's. Adama Sanogo dropped 24 points. Jordan Hawkins had none in the first half again, but then four threes in the second half to finish with 12 points. It was another game with a tight first half, but the Huskies powered through. They got the win. They got it comfortably. They are on to the Sweet 16. They are on to Vegas and a date with Arkansas. We'll talk about all of that in a little bit, but first, reactions to the Huskies' performance tonight. Vegas, baby. I mean, come on. You know, Swingers, a movie of the, of the 90s that probably wouldn't be made right now. That's that's all we got to talk about. Um, Vegas. Let's see. Um, UConn, I mean, they had – they kind of – it was a struggle in the first half. It was – you know, St. Mary's definitely punched first. Um, and the pace was definitely something that UConn was not used to. I mean, think of what type of team in the Big East plays with that type of pace. Not many. Um, but, you know, they adapted and, you know, realized that Adama Sunoko was going to be the person that was going to be the gravity that kind of, you know, pulls everything in. And he just continued to play out of his mind. And even if Jordan Hawkins did not catch fire in the second half, you essentially were betting on one of Calcaterra, Aline, Tristan Newton, to hit those threes that he was hitting. And yeah, they just kind of wore him down. And it's a little bit of the theme that we saw in the beginning of the year when they were making their crazy, you know, 14 and 0 run where they were only up by five on Alabama. And it was one of those like, Oh God, this is going to go down to the wire. And they just pull away like crazy. Even they were up by 10. I remember against Iowa state, but it was still, it was still dicey. It was still tenuous. And they just have this habit of wearing people down, whether it be their depth, their balance, their inside out, everything. Um, you know, if you are not prepared to, you know, go blow to blow with this team for 40 minutes, I mean, they will wear you down. Yeah, it, it's hard to really be anything but impressed with this performance from the Huskies. I think that first, what, six or eight minutes from St. Mary's, um, they were definitely aware that UConn was going to try and push the tempo. And looked pretty comfortable, maybe not playing fast-paced, I would say, but kind of speeding their game up a little bit, finding the open man, capitalizing, hitting those open shots, um, and keeping it close for a while there. I thought Adama Sinogo was just brilliant, honestly. I mean, he had 24 points, second game with 20 or more points. Uh, he had 28 in the first round against Iona. Saw that he scored 52 points in 52 minutes in the, the first two games, which is, I mean, absolutely unheard of. Um the St. Mary's Bigs with Mitchell Saxon and, and freshman Harry Wessels, they, they basically had no shot at stopping Sonogo at, at any point. He was pretty much scoring at will. I know he missed a few shots. He was 11 for 16 from the floor, but he's the closest thing to automatic as you can get uh, in a college basketball game right now. So credit to UConn, credit to Dan Hurley for just riding their best player and, and kind of letting him take them to the promised land, even when – Jordan Hawkins uh, was once again non-existent for the first half, but came off the bench uh, after a slow start in the second half and hit pretty much four threes in, what, three or four minutes. 
to basically put this game to bed. Um, St. Mary's, a good team, disciplined team. Uh, I just think their lack of depth caught up to them. Um, really hard to play your guys for 40 minutes when you have to play two games in three days. And uh, I think that, that kind of caught up to Alex Dukas, who, who left with a back injury. And while it definitely swung the game in UConn's favor, with the way that the Huskies played in the second half, I don't think Dukas playing or not playing really impacts this game. Um, UConn really dominated. It, it's cool to see another incredible second half. Um, the first half has been a little shaky, but I really think those like lackluster first halves, if you want to call it that, are just from Hawkins not being who he usually is. So I think if he ever comes back to earth and, and kind of is able to string together some solid first half performances, this team is going to be incredibly dangerous in Las Vegas and, and maybe even Houston. These are these are good teams. It was a good Iona team uh, for a first-round matchup and a very pesky and annoying St. Mary's team that was very motivated, very disciplined, and hit 70% of its shots from the field seven and a half minutes in. So they were they were – you know, really motivated against this opponent. They had a chance to make the Sweet 16. Um, you know, they themselves, uh, just like we like to say, you know, every team's trying hard. They don't need any any extra motivation here. But they do know that they have to have a special performance to beat UConn, right? And so I think that's, what's, that's what has been, you know, UConn's experience uh, for a lot of this season was that they were getting other teams' best shot. We see that. Uh, we've seen that in the first half of these games. Um, we'll probably see it again with Arkansas in the next round, but it's something where the Huskies have more depth. The Huskies have more bodies. The Huskies have dudes who can score. So it's just one of those things that it's not the most perfectly constructed team, right? Like we've talked about that, but they do just have lots of guys who can do it. Um, even just to have something like five points from Joey Calcaterra, right? Like the way he got those five points, except for one three that he absolutely should not have taken. But, you know, it's just it's just all good points, all within the flow of the game. Donovan Klingon, what he brought to the table, uh, he scored four points, but he had five rebounds, three blocks, altered a ton. It's just a team with a lot of depth that, uh, that wears other teams down, and we're seeing that. And um, at this point, like we said after last night, can confirm it again after tonight, UConn is that dog. UConn is that team you don't want to run to in March run into in, in March or, or late in the tournament. And, um, you know, we certainly have, have concerns about the Arkansas matchup, but so do they about the UConn matchup. Eric Musselman is an asshole. You know, he, they, they upset Kansas and they played great in, in, in his entire thing. First of all, the taking off the shirt and didn't credit Kansas once. And I'm going to do the opposite and say like, look, Logan Johnson and Aiden Mahaney for the first half were making tough shots, just like really tough backing UConn's guards down and, you know, forcing them to bite on fakes, going underneath. I mean, they, they were very in tune with what they wanted to do. And eventually those looks rolled out. And when you play UConn, that sort of thing tends to snowball. And, you know, you get Andre Jackson pulling down the rebound, pushing the pace, and then finding a Calcaterra on the three or a Hawkins on the three. That wears teams down. It absolutely just is demoralizing. I mean, they are called kill shots, shout out Evan Maya, for a reason. And UConn's first kill shot, and, you know, at kind of, was it like the 14-minute mark, maybe even earlier, um, 
you know, that, that ended the game essentially barring some kind of, you know, dramatic collapse. Um, so like, you know, St. Mary's gave their best shot. They, they, they played the way they wanted to play. UConn was able to adapt. And now the exciting thing is to look and say, okay, they won against playing essentially like a Virginia style in the West. That's what everyone looks at St. Mary's. Now they have to put on their shoes and, you know, it's a track meet against Arkansas. And you, you look up and down the roster and, and like what Amon was saying, like they have the guys to do that. They have guys to kind of match any type type of style where you, you want to go up and down. Okay. We'll put Diara and Jackson and Calcaterra and people out there that can, you know, run and gun. You want to slow it down. We'll, we'll throw it to Sonogo and let him do work on the block. So there's multiple ways to win and that's the most important thing when you're playing in late March and heading into early April. Yeah, I think this team really is versatile. Like you said, Patrick, like when you're playing a, a slow team like St. Mary's that really wants to just kill clock and, and run their offense and use their best six guys and try and beat you, it, it's in UConn's in, uh, incentive to kind of play as fast as, as they're comfortable with and try and speed St. Mary's up. And against Arkansas, it's probably the opposite, right? Where you probably want to take away some of those transition opportunities and slow the ball down. Uh, and UConn's kind of built to kind of play either way. I wouldn't say they're really good in the half-court set or really good in tra- transition, but they're good enough at either where they can kind of mold their game plan to what's weaker for the other team and kind of use that to their advantage. So I think that's going to be huge coming up for this Arkansas game uh, and if they continue to advance throughout the tournament. Um I just wanted to go back and talk about the bench really quick because I do think that, you know, they didn't have the best game today. I think they had 12 points, but the way that they did it mattered so much. Like Calcaterra had some questionable shots, but he did basically just fill in and do enough to kind of be Jordan Hawkins uh, while he dealt with foul trouble and just generally being ineffective uh, in the first half. And Naheem Aline didn't necessarily do much, but that three that he hit was such a big, kind of three-pointer to kind of keep the momentum going, kind of get UConn back as they kind of came back from that deficit that St. Mary's built. So I think just experience, like Calcaterra's never played in the tournament, but Aline is a guy who played in the ACC, helped Virginia Tech win the ACC tournament next uh, last year. Like he, he just kind of knows what it takes to, to be, to play at that level. And he's not a star per se, but having that level of experience off the bench makes such a big difference. And Klingon, I mean, Klingon just completely impacted the game. He had four points and five rebounds, but it felt like he had 500 rebounds. He he was just dominating. St. Mary's had no answer for him. Not that they had an answer for Sonogo either, but um, him just tipping everything, ripping down rebounds, um, frustrated a, a Gales team that's really, really good at limiting offensive rebounds and, and rebounding on their own. And I think that kind of opened things up for UConn when Klingon's in there tipping stuff around and, allowing Jackson or Newton to pick up those those scraps and kind of start the break. So Hurley talked a lot about in um, the presser after the Iona game about when the bigs, meaning Sonogo and Klingon, get to 30 points and like high teens rebounds, um, UConn's usually pretty good. So today they had 28 and I think they had 13 rebounds. And, you know, there's probably more on the table. I think Sonogo is just like transcendent tonight. So I, you it's really hard to justify playing Klingon any more than he did just because Sonogo was really at a whole nother level. But um, 
it just it's a really I thought it was kind of like a abstract number for Hurley to get at, but seeing it kind of in action now with this game, it's pretty clear. Like if if they can get to that number, uh, in however way they get there, they can hang with just about anybody. Yeah, to add to that about the bench, um, like you said, not not a huge point total, but if you think about the course of the game. Early on in that first half, St. Mary's playing really well, hitting lots of shots, takes kind of a six, seven-point lead. You're going, hmm, that's not great against a slower team, against a team that keeps possessions down. Um, and then, to my dismay, you know, we start to see some of the backups come through, and I'm going, what are you doing? You know, I'm thinking, this is maybe not a good time, down six or down seven, to get these guys in. But um, while they all may not have scored a lot of points, I think they definitely – like you said, Madigan, like made sure that that first half did not get out of control. Uh, they started forcing misses and they chipped away at the lead. So, um, you know, I think the other thing is that sometimes we think of Caravan and Newton who are also starters, but, you know, as kind of like role players or rotationally relevant players. But, um, you know, the, the way that they are, uh, you know, Newton obviously was really, really good, I think, in the first half. Uh, in helping to keep UConn in it as well throughout that time. So it's not even necessarily just bench players as it is sometimes secondary scorers like Caravan, um, you know, or even not, not tonight, but Andre Jackson, who can get it done. Like if Andre Jackson has 10 points, like he did in the game against Iona, one or two more shots fall in for him. then that's what keeps UConn alive. And I think that's just what it is. You know, like the box score, um, nobody unless they're Sonogo or Hawkins is really going to have too, too much going on. I don't think no one's, no one has killer averages. Um, and even Hawkins, you know, has not has averaging of what 12, 12 and a half through two games, zero points in first halves. Um, so it's just that, that those guys provide so much um, and do it and do it with, with more than just scoring. So it's, it is an incredible testament to the depth and it is something that really does put them over as Hurley and Hawkins have said in terms of the ceiling for this team. I mean, Madigan, the the the, the Naheem Aline fan club should be growing. He is he was plus twenty today in twenty two minutes. I mean, look, look, he had three points. That's that's fine. He hit one transition three, and if that one they rimmed out would have went in, I mean, the whole place would have collapsed. Um, but it's the defense that he provides, the switchability, especially when St. Mary's is throwing people through ball screens left and right. Um, you know, he, and just the simple ball handling. He had, I think, what, one one turnover? That's fine. But if you look at, I'm sure if you pull up his usage, he was handling the ball a lot. I'm not saying St. Mary's presses a lot, but he was at least initiating offense enough that you felt comfortable with him doing it. Um, and I can go down the list and, and, and point out the same kind of things that, you know, Calcaterra was doing and Amon already did that, but, you know, it's really good to see Aline do that because he was obviously taking a step up in competition from, you know, a, to a power five conference, which is, you know, needed to be done, you know, going from the ACC to the big, big East is a big step up. So, you know, good for him. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the Aline thing is, he, he's had an up and down season. Like he's a 31 and a half percent three point shooter on the year. He's a better three point shooter than that. I don't know what happened. He, he, his role changed dramatically. Maybe that's all it is. He's shooting 50% from three in his last three games. Um, he's really been an asset all season on the defensive end. 
Um, and I just feel like he's a stabilizing presence off the bench, uh, whether it's Caravan or, or Newton gets in foul trouble, or if there's someone who just kind of needs some off uh, needs some offense, he's really been able to inject a lot of life into this team. And I think having someone so experienced um, play the NCAA tournament, won conference tournaments, like it's stupid, it's cliche, but I, I do think it matters for a team that up until this point really hasn't done a lot in March, right? Like this is this run, which is an incredible run already is more success than a lot of these players have ever had. So having someone that had at least been there for a little bit and kind of knew their way around things um, probably helps a lot. So I, I think the depth of this team is just so important. I don't think there's anyone that's on the bench that's, you know, really like standout absolute stud, but there's not really a, a huge drop off from, uh, you know, a caravan to a lean or caravan to Calcaterra uh, overall. Um, and the ability to just go eight or nine deep at times and just throw that at teams, um, especially ones with tired legs that are playing guys 40, 38 minutes like St. Mary's is doing, you're just going to wear teams down. Um, I don't think they're going to be able to wear Arkansas down uh, like they did with St. Mary's, but they can at least hang around and Hurley can mix and match guys and try and find something that works if they get behind early again. Yeah, that depth really is ultimately such a luxury uh, to have and something that keeps UConn also, like like you guys discussed, really versatile. And what we need to reckon with now is the Dan Hurley doubters. I mean, so many people saying UConn's going to lose in the first round. We received so many tweets five minutes into this game. UConn's going to lose. This is why we lose X, Y, Z. You know, literally making up things kind of, you know, but... If you have been a Dan Hurley doubter or hater, I'm sorry. You gotta you gotta turn in your badge. You gotta go back to the film room and go go take a look at some things. Figure out what you've done wrong. What you've been what you've been analyzing. Uh, whatever Bush League uh, uh, flow sports analyst you've been listening to, stop stop doing it because you're completely off your record, whatever, whatever high school basketball coach, you know, who's, who's yelling at his TV and you listen to uh, that, that you're listening to in terms of critique on Dan Hurley, you have to stop doing it. What makes you think you know more than this situation? And you had a team like UConn top five in Ken Palm this year, doing amazing, open the season 14 and 0, top stretch through the big East loaded roster that he retools after losing so many players last year, and this team is this good this year, what on earth are you doing criticizing the coaching job that he's done? Now, two wins later, we're able to say you're extremely silly for feeling that way. We have always felt that way. And look, I don't want to go defending our coach. I want to be a freak like that and, and really focus in on something wrong that he's doing. But he's not. And then what the critics are saying, he's not really doing wrong either. It's just made up nonsense. Dan Hurley doesn't win close games. Dan Hurley doesn't win when he can. Well, you know, Dan Hurley doesn't call me after a game and apologize personally for why we lost. I, you know, all of these things got to move on. The team made the sweet 16. Sweet 16 is the first time in nine years. This is the best team UConn has had since 2011, at least maybe longer. Time to really be quiet if you're a doubter of Dan Hurley. Sir, this is an Arby's. Come on. Damn it. Damn just, it. This just, is the rapid reaction pod. Sorry. I'm so sorry. Yeah, just just give me your order and, and drive along. I I really do think this is, I mean, maybe this is controversial, and who knows if this UConn team will win the national championship. They certainly have the potential to do that. I don't think that's out of the question. But just in terms of pure talent, 
I think this is one of the better teams since 2009. Honestly, like I think we can kind of agree that the 2011-2014 teams very talented. Kim Walker, Shabazz Napier, two of the greatest players in, in UConn and college basketball history. Incredible. The team around them, less incredible. I think top to bottom, this is a much more talented team. Whether they win the national championship or not, like I said, who knows? The NCAA tournament, it's a bunch of college kids playing basketball. Random things happen. Um, but this team is insanely talented. Um, it's really impressive how Hurley has gotten these pieces to mold together too. Like Tristan Newton is not a point guard, right? This has always been the the biggest knock on this team all season, and he's really stepped it up as of late. And he's he's been um, he's been kind of on and off scoring wise, but he's been able to kind of stabilize that position at least uh, and be an impact player. And uh, I'm just really impressed with the coaching job that Hurley and the staff have done this year. And uh, I wish we could see it happen, but like I would love to see this team play some of the great UConn teams of lore because it would be a heck of a game. And um, on paper, this team has as much talent as any one of those um, in a while. I mean, look at look at UConn's most their, their last loss against Marquette, where they were bothered by ball pressure, and he had Omax Prosper essentially shutting Jordan Hawkins off of the game. Um, if you if we we can we can go forward this to now, but who on Arkansas can do that? You know, th- there will be ball pressure. Th- th- it will be a tough game for Tristan Newton and for Hassan Tiara and anybody handling the rock. But who can switch off of the numerous screens that UConn puts Jordan Hawkins through to, to, to check him? And, you know, okay, he went over whatever in the first half. He eventually caught fire. And at the time when he was throwing up goose eggs, Adama Sonogo was cooking inside. And there was enough firepower around. So, you know, what what type of team beats UConn if it's like the kind of the switchy athletic teams, which does worry me with a team like Arkansas. Um, and you have to wonder, like, you know, th- when when this team is rolling, we're sitting here gushing about them saying, oh, my God, I mean, who, who stops them? But we've also seen bad UConn. And, and, and this is a case for any team where, like, what – what happens when, you know, they kind of hit that dud and maybe there is no second half run and now Arkansas is making a run and there's, it turns, turn it into a track meet and you can't play Klingon and Sunogo can't get anything inside. That is the next question is to say, who will be the guy that steps up and gets you a couple of easy buckets to calm things down and, you know, progress things back to where, you know, they can get to a kill shot. I, um, I agree with what you said earlier, Madigan, about really this being the most talented, talented team since 2009. I think that's, that's about right. And it's, and it's an apt analogy. Um, I, I do have concerns about this Arkansas matchup. I feel like it's the kind of team that even going into the tournament, uh, you kind of didn't want to face. They have a lot of top level NBA talent, which is an advantage that, that they'd have over UConn. And, um, you know, they also just seem to be putting together, putting it together at the right time. I mean, the way that they performed against Kansas was really, really impressive and the way that they frustrated them. So, um, but, you know, look, again, this is the NCAA tournament. This is the Sweet 16. You're going to play good teams, honestly, in the whole field of 16 or, or, you know, whatever, whoever amounts is in there and left right now. Um, But out of the field, I mean, Arkansas is not a bad matchup. And like we've said, I mean, 
UConn really can take anyone. It's a matter of just being able to get their game and, and hit enough shots. Um, you know, I think in the future, that means trying to get Hawkins and uh, someone else involved early. Uh, you don't want to see the offense be what it was today. Even though Sonogo was so great and so unstoppable, the fact that that was kind of the play every time was holding back UConn for a little bit. It was a little weird to me, like, why not try to go to someone else? Why not try to, you know, run a play, like create something through through Sonogo for someone else? Um, you know, again, I'm not a coach, and I'm not going to say we, we uh, didn't win the first half by enough because of that failure, but um, it's going to have to be a much different game plan, obviously. And um, I think the key will be to have Jordan Hawkins not have zero points. That will be my, my hope and my prediction for this Thursday is that uh, Jordan Hawkins does not have zero points in the first half. Yeah, I think, I think that the game plan for this game, for the St. Mary's game, with just leaning on Sonogo as much as it is, just comes down to scouting. Like they had a day to scout St. Mary's basically, and they correctly kind of figured out that none of those big Saxon Wessels, nobody on the court could guard Sonogo. So, you know, they're, they have a really good shot at advancing if they can just let Sonogo go to work and, and score every single time. And when you have such a big advantage like that, I think it's really hard to try and get cute and try and get other things going when you know that you have kind of an ace in your, in your back pocket to kind of win those games. So I also think the scouting aspect of this now kind of scares me a lot about this matchup too. Um, not that Hurley is not, is a, he's not a good, not that he's not a good coach or that Musselman's a, a better coach per se, but this is Musselman's fourth sweet 16 in the last six years between Nevada and uh, Arkansas. Um, he has a full week now to basically scout UConn and, and know what their strengths and weaknesses are. Um, and I don't think, you know, usually these past two games, UConn has had the best one or two or three best players on the floor at any given time. That might not be the case anymore. And that doesn't mean that UConn can, can't handle this talent disadvantage per se or a talent gap. Um, but it's certainly something that is going to take a little bit more time to account for um, and that they'll have to factor into to their scout of the Razorbacks. So I was looking through Ken Palm, looking at Arkansas's resume. I know they've been an up-and-down team throughout the season. They lost to Creighton by three uh, in November. Um, only thing of note during that is Creighton was playing like maybe some of the worst basketball of any top 25 team in the country, like during that span. Um, so that's kind of interesting. They lost to Alabama by 15 at home in January. Uh, and then they lost by three to Alabama on the road uh, in late February. So those are teams that UConn has played. UConn has beat those teams. Um, so I think it's going to be close. Uh, and Ken Palm has the Huskies winning by six right now and a, a 69% chance to win. So, I think these win percentages are a little screwy during the tournament because, you know, teams are hot, but I think this week off kind of is a great equalizer for better or worse. You know, if, if UConn plays on plays Arkansas on Tuesday, it might be a different story. Um, but having this week off is going to make it a little bit more level and it'll really be up to which coach is prepared more and, and how they execute. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, oh, go ahead. Well, no, I was going to say, um, uh, Nick Smith Jr. is now a number eight on mock drafts. Now he hasn't been playing great, but he's still an incredibly, you know, you know, lucrative talent that will be tough to to keep in front of. 
Um, but we also look at and see how UConn did against Brandon Miller. Um, you know, that different matchup that was Andre Jackson guarding him, this would probably be Tristan Newton. Um, and then you also have to keep an eye on Anthony Black. Um, but what worries me is the athleticism of like Trayvon Brazil and McKay Mitchell, um, you know, kind of like the springy muscleman types that can, you know, have the athleticism to check Sonogo and at the same time, you know, go up and down with them. So where you kind of, I think has struggled this year is when the ball pressure is too much, they can't get into things unless it's a track meet. We know Arkansas will prefer it to be a track meet, thankfully, but in the half court, if Arkansas is locking up and Tristan Newton is having a hard time getting things going and Jordan Hawkins is uncomfortable, can you toss it into Sonogo and hope that he can get you a free bucket? Um, that's going to come down to it. If if he continues to play the way he's played, then yeah, then you have to feel good about UConn's chances. But this is, again, a little bit of a higher level. You know, as as great as UConn has looked, let's also take a step back and realize this has been a MAC and a West Coast Conference team. Um, so, you know, this is the SEC. The SEC, I, I, I think at this point, is three teams in the Sweet 16, or they're about they're, have a chance of having three teams in the Sweet 16. So it was the same as the Big East, for the record. But this is going to be a little bit of a step up. The intensity is going to be a little higher. This is a muscle one. Where else in the Big East have you seen a team that kind of has that emotion that the Hurley type of teams bring? Uh, maybe Shaka Smart? I don't know. I mean, that's that's what worries me is like when someone is matching your insanity, you know, how do you respond? Because you have to go back to the fundamentals at that point. On that note, by the way, RIP to Marquette. Uh, we hardly knew ye. Uh, Golden Eagles go down to Cy, Michigan State, and Tom Izzo. Narrative. What a narrative clusterfuck that is. Um, but I do know a lot of UConn fans who had Marquette going deep um, simply off of being so impressed by how they beat UConn at MSG. Uh, sounds like Patrick might have been might have been one of those people. I actually don't even fill out brackets anymore. I'm too I'm too jaded. Yeah, I know it's bad. I'm a, I'm a bad person. Um, but I, I think you know for Dan Hurley, this is his first Sweet 16 as a head coach. So good for him. He had made the round of 32 twice while at URI. He dropped an f bomb in the press conference uh, after this game, remembering his round of 32 loss at URI to a Dylan Brooks-led Oregon team, uh, where he recalls that his team was winning by five and that it literally haunts him. He said that multiple times, that that game haunts him. Uh, so, uh, Dan Hurley, uh, I do hope you find peace now that you have made the Sweet 16, now that maybe some of your doubters, even in the UConn uh, fan base, have a lot less to say. And really, my final note on this is just that, you know, for UConn fans, really just not to take this for granted, uh, not to take this as an automatic. UConn did not achieve this because it is UConn. Uh, they did it because of the actions and decisions of a lot of people, including starting from the top, Athletic Director David Benedict getting UConn into the Big East. Who knows what kind of recruits, you know, that, that uh, brings in, but you can surmise that Donovan Klingon probably chooses to play elsewhere. 
um, you know, if, if UConn's in a, in a different conference and certainly some of the transfers that have joined the team uh, over the last two years. And Dan Hurley, I mean, Dan Hurley took a, took a chance on UConn, really uh, a team at the, at the bottom of its, uh, at an absolute nadir, you know, at, at the worst that it had been since 1987 and uh, was playing in the American Athletic Conference with seemingly no to little upside. And he definitely had other options, chose UConn. Um, so just, I want to, you know, really, really outline and highlight the credit for belonging to Dan Hurley, Kamani Young, Luke Murray, Mamadou Diara, Jordan Hawkins, Adama Sanogo, uh, you know, Andre Jackson. Those are the guys. Those are the guys who made it happen. It's not some university. It's not some alumni base. It's not some... Uh, tweeters or bloggers or whatever it's it's those dudes who just did it and and hats off to them this is this is really a remarkable accomplishment and the future is super super bright for uh this team and the program in the future and a cook a cook <laughs> and you brought in a cook a cook which was a huge recruiting win uh nothing nothing more to say about that there was just a great win bringing in a cook a cook and nothing else that's going to do it for us. Thank you all for listening.